0: Hello, my name is Andrew Lepocha, and welcome to the Twilight Years. On today's episode, we will be looking at the death and final years of baseball legend Ted Williams. Ted Williams ranks very high on the list of the greatest baseball players of all time. A star member of the Boston Red Sox, he played from 1939 to 1960. He was a 19-time All-Star, a two-time recipient of the American League's Most Valuable Player Award, a six-time American League batting champion, and he won the Triple Crown twice. At the end of his career, he had a .344 batting average, 521 home runs, and a .482 on-base percentage, which is the highest of all time. In the 1941 season, he scored a .406 batting average, and ever since then, no player has ever scored 0. .400 or higher over the course of one season. His stats may have been even greater had he not taken a few seasons off to serve in World War II, as well as the Korean War. He famously hit a home run his very last time at bat. In 1966, he was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. For a few years, he was the manager for the Washington Senator-slash-Texas Rangers franchise. Baseball loves Ted Williams. However, he went through a lot in his later years and drew headlines well after his death. In the early 1970s, Ted began living with a woman named Louise Kaufman. They had known each other for years and always had an on and off relationship. Many compared their relationship to the kind that Spencer Tracy and Katharine Hepburn had. The two never married, but Ted always claimed that Louise was his one true love. Ted was always an avid fisherman, a passion that he and Louise both shared. In the summer of 1993, she and Ted were to go on a fishing trip to Canada when she became troubled by an obstructed bowel. Despite the pain, Louise traveled to Canada with Ted and would get it looked at when she was back. She did not particularly want to go, but she went so she could be with Ted. However, Louise grew more ill during the trip and she was taken to a hospital in Newcastle. From there she was transported to a hospital in Moncton, New Brunswick so an operation could be performed. The surgery did not go very well. She slipped in and out of a coma on several occasions. Whenever Ted went to visit her, the situation looked grim. Ted was fishing when he got the news of her death on August 10th, 1993. Ted was deeply saddened. He never wanted to outlive Louise, even though she was several years older than him. Louise's funeral was held in Columbia, South Carolina. Louise's death really took its toll on Ted and he was never the same. Afterwards, Ted went back to Canada to finish out the fishing season. At one point when ted was trying to get into the fishing boat he slipped and fell into the river he also broke a couple of his ribs at one point ted was always emotional when these trips ended but this time he was even more emotional than normal he never returned to canada ever again when ted returned to his home in the citrus county part of florida he mostly kept to himself he didn't want to see many people one of the few people that he did see was his friend artist lewis watkins A few years earlier, Ted had brought up to him the idea of a Ted Williams museum. Louis had taken Ted to the site where the museum was being built, which made Ted emotional, saying, Jesus Christ, I never expected anything like this. The museum opened on February 9, 1994. Many notables were in attendance at the opening, including Ted's fellow sports legends, Joe DiMaggio and Muhammad Ali. Shortly before the museum opened, another woman came into Ted's life. Her name was Lynette Simon, and she moved in with him. Ted felt guilty that he was getting back into dating so soon. However, she ended up saving Ted's life. Just 10 days after the museum opened, Ted stepped out of the shower and collapsed. He had a stroke. Fortunately, Lynette was nearby, and she called 911. Had she not been there, Ted surely would not have lived. Ted had suffered two mild strokes before one in 1991 and another in 1992. These strokes took away about 25% of his vision, but there were no other major changes. The third stroke was an entirely different beast. 75% of his vision went away, and his peripheral vision was completely gone. Not only that, but the left side of his body went numb. His balance was affected, and he lost the ability to walk. Ted was taken to Shan's Teaching Hospital in Gainesville, Florida. The hospital spokesman said it was a minor stroke, which was as far away from the truth as you could get. Ted was in the hospital for nine days, but afterwards he went to a rehabilitation hospital so he could learn to walk again. While in rehab, it was determined that he would need permanent nursing care. Ted was told his vision would most likely not return and he would need speech therapy. The therapist magnified the sports pages in the newspaper for him, but Ted had to move his head to read the words, not his eyes. Being able to drive a car again was out of the question. Eventually, he regained his ability to walk, though he would need to use a cane or a walker. The Red Sox sent a television to his room, as well as a satellite dish, so he could watch the games. When Ted went back home, a male live-in nurse named George Carter was hired for him. Carter would live at Ted's house on and off over the following years. Ted would make trips to the rehab center a few times a week for physical therapy, but sometimes a physical therapist would come to his house. Ted often liked to wake up early and have breakfast that included bacon and other high-cholesterol foods. One of the many cooks who passed through Ted's house over the years once commented, when this man dies, I'm going to be the guy who has killed him. If the Red Sox were playing, Ted would call up his friend Joe Camacho, who was his bench coach when Ted managed the Senators. They would often stay on the line and talk to each other for the entire game. Occasionally, his ex-wife Dolores would come visit too. Nurses were constantly watching for any kind of mishap. On Thanksgiving Day 1994, Ted took a longer exercise walk than he should have taken. When they got back, his nurse took a phone call and Ted fell in his driveway and broke the same shoulder he had broken while playing in an All-Star game years earlier. In 1997, his dog Slugger knocked Ted over when his physical therapist wasn't paying attention. He broke his hip and was taken to the hospital for hip replacement surgery. At the hospital, Ted angrily pulled out the catheter that went into his main artery to monitor his blood pressure, which could have been fatal. He spent much of this hospital trip yelling at the nurses as well as his own children. If you're like me and you wanted to start a podcast, but were not very tech-savvy, you wouldn't have known what to do. Then I heard about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. In Ted's later years, his son John Henry had been running a store that sold memorabilia of his father. Using the money from sales, he started an internet service provider company called Hitter.net. July 13, 1999 was that baseball season's all-star game, and it was being held at Fenway Park, Ted's old stomping ground. This game was unique because an all-century team would be presented. 100 names of the greatest baseball players of the 20th century would be picked, 33 of whom were still alive at the time. They would all be introduced on the field. Old guard like Willie Mays, Sandy Koufax, Bob Feller, Hank Aaron, and Yogi Berra would be there, as well as younger players like Sammy Sosa, Mike Piazza, Mark McGuire, and Derek Jeter. And of course, Ted would be at the game. He would be the one to throw out the first pitch. At 80 years old, Ted was the oldest out of all the players there. After the first pitch, he waved his cap to the applauding crowd, something he never did as a player. His cap drew a lot of talk. All the other players in attendance wore caps from the team they were most known for, but Ted wore a cap that said hitter.com on it, as well as a blue golf shirt with the website's name. John Henry drew a lot of criticism for Ted's attire that day. Many thought he turned what was to be a historical event into a commercial for his website, but the truth was that it was the deciding factor for him to attend. Ted initially had no desire to go to the game. Many people, including John Henry, tried to get him to change his mind, but to no avail. Ted said to John Henry, if I went for your company, would that help you? When his son said that it would, Ted agreed to go. Sadly though, Ted's attire did not help and Hitter went bankrupt the following year. On October 30th, 2000, Ted was hospitalized with breathing troubles. While Ted was in the hospital, George Carter and Ted's aide, Frank Brothers, watched him in 12 hour shifts. Both men grew to despise the nurse looking after him. Ted hated when anyone touched his feet, something Carter and brothers made known to the nurse. However, she didn't listen. At one point, Ted got angry and kicked his bedpan into the air. It was determined that he would have to be fitted with a pacemaker. His heart medications were no longer working, but his arteries were clear enough that an operation could be performed to fit one in. The operation went smoothly, and it looked like things would be okay for the time being. Ted was discharged after two weeks. However, the pacemaker did not help as much as it was initially thought it would. Ted continued to have breathing and heart problems. A possibility was a substantial yet dangerous surgery to repair the valves in his heart. The final decision was to send him to New York Whale Cornell Medical Center to perform the surgery. Williams had a 50-50 chance of survival. When he was told the odds, Ted said, "'You know what? I've had a hell of a life. "'I have no regrets. If I have to die on an operating table, so be it. The surgery was performed on January 15, 2001. 14 doctors, nurses, and technicians worked on him for nine and a half hours. When the surgery was over, Ted came out attached to six IV lines and a tracheotomy tube was put in. Without surgery, Ted would have died in just a few days. The operation itself was a success, but more problems began. His kidneys were failing and he developed a staph infection. Ted was discharged on February 19th and went to Sharp Hospital in San Diego for rehabilitation. This visit lasted for four months with little improvement. On March 15th, Ted spoke his first words since the initial surgery. When John Henry told him that John Glenn had called, Ted replied, how is he? Ted finally went back home to Citrus Hill on August 30th, his 83rd birthday. In a will drafted in December 1996, Ted stated that he wanted to be cremated and his ashes scattered off the Florida coast. But during Ted's hospital stay, John Henry phoned his half-sister, Bobby Joe. He asked her if he had ever heard of cryonics, which was the process of freezing a dead body in the hopes that one day they may be unfrozen and brought back to life. When Bobby Joe insisted that she had, John Henry brought up the idea of having it done to their father. Bobby Joe hated the idea and shot it down immediately. That's not what Ted wanted. Bobby Joe and John Henry never liked each other. When she refused the idea of cryonics, John Henry had power of attorney and did everything in his power to keep her away from their father. He said that if she ever showed up at Ted's house, he would have her arrested. Ted made his last public appearance on February 17, 2002 at the 9th Annual Hitters Hall of Fame induction ceremony at the Ted Williams Museum. The previous year, he had been in the hospital but couldn't attend. Ted received a standing ovation upon his entrance, but more applause was given for Jason Giambi, Don Mattingly, and the recently retired Cal Ripken Jr., all of whom were also in attendance. Tommy Lasorda was the MC of the event, and he tried to get Ted to talk but never got any words out of him. In the early summer of 2002, John Henry put up a batting cage next to the house. He had plans to play minor league baseball. He signed with the Gulf Coast League Red Sox in Fort Myers, Florida for $850 a month. He was not a good player, going 0-3 in his first game. Sports writers heavily criticized his ability, and he broke a rib during his second game. On Father's Day, Bobby Joe spoke to Ted on the phone for the first time in 10 months. He spoke to her about meeting at Fenway Park that day. Ted was out of it. As July began, his condition worsened. Dialysis knocked him out, and he could only breathe through a tracheotomy tube or a respirator. In recent months, Ted had been talking daily to Dom DiMaggio on the phone. When they talked on July 4th, they said hello, but spent the rest of the call in silence. A nurse came on the line and said that Ted was having a rough day. Later that night, on July 5th, 2002, Ted had a restless night sleeping. His condition grew weaker. At around 7am, his oxygen level hit an all-time low. 911 was called and he was taken to Citrus Memorial Hospital. Ted died in the emergency room at the age of 83. Almost immediately, John Henry and Ted's daughter Claudia were hard at work on getting their father cryogenically frozen. His body was taken to a funeral home that day and was packed in ice. He was then flown to Arizona. From there, his body was taken to Alcor Life Extension Foundation in Scottsdale. The family spokesman, Eric Abel, said that Ted was a private person and wished to stay that way after his death, which is why there would be no funeral services. Al Cassidy was executor of Williams' estate and filed a lawsuit in Bobby Joe's name just 12 days after Ted's death. The purpose of the suit was to have him removed from Alcor and be cremated, which is what Ted wanted. John Henry retaliated by producing a handwritten scrap of paper dated November 2, 2002, saying that Ted, John Henry, and Claudia agreed to be put in biostasis after their death. The paper had Ted's signature on it. Bobby Joe disputed that the signature was a forgery. A handwriting expert determined that it was authentic. Cassidy then threw out his own lawsuit. Even though the suit had been thrown out, George Carter and Frank Brothers were still determined to prove that the signature was fake. They claimed that either one of them had been watching Ted at all times during the supposed period when it was signed, and neither of them never saw him sign it. Bobby Joe didn't have the money to go to court over the matter, so she signed a settlement agreement in November of that year with her father's estate that gave her $200,000 in an insurance trust fund that her father had left behind. All was quiet until the first anniversary of Ted's death. Bobby Joe had still been trying to have Ted cremated and was trying to renew interest in the situation. HBO did a real sports segment on the situation. On the August 18, 2003 issue of Sports Illustrated, a headline read, What Really Happened to Ted Williams? An angry Alcor employee named Larry Johnson called Bobby Joe and her lawyer with a story. Contrary to popular belief, Ted's body was not hanging upside down, at least not his whole body. His head had been mistakenly removed and replaced in a neurocan. can. His head was also cracked multiple times. Sports Illustrated said that the endeavor was messed up from the beginning. The first thing they pointed out was that the consent form had been signed after William's death. Also, Ted had never met with any Alcor representatives, and John Henry had not visited Alcor until six months after the document was supposedly signed. John Henry still owed a large portion of the $136,000 bill to Alcort, and they were aggressively trying to get payment from him. Larry Johnson also had pictures of what he claimed was Ted's frozen head, and he was even charging $20 on his personal website to view the picture, but he took it down due to pressure from Sports Illustrated. Also, 8 of the 182 DNA samples from Ted's body went missing. Jokes began flying. David Letterman joked that Martha Stewart was trying to thaw Ted's head. The Boston radio station WBCN ran a segment called the tasteless Ted Williams joke of the day. Amidst all this, John Henry and Claudia were surprisingly quiet. John Henry had still kept up his failing baseball career, playing for the Baton Rouge RiverBats. However, he had to put his career on hold when he was diagnosed with acute myelogenous leukemia. He needed a bone marrow transplant, which Claudia was a match for and agreed to donate. He died on March 6, 2004, at the age of 35. In 2017, Family Guy made a joke about Ted's frozen head attending a Red Sox banquet, with him saying there was a special place in hell for whoever caused him to end up like that. Ted did not deserve the unwanted publicity he received after his death. He never asked for it, and it went against his wishes. He should be receiving accolades for his many accomplishments, and nothing more. Thank you all for listening to The Twilight Years. Please don't forget to subscribe. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter. The links are included in the description of this episode. If possible, leave me a review. If you have any requests for somebody you would like to see talked about on this podcast, let me know and I will do my best to get to them. Thanks again for listening. My name is Andrew Laposha, and I will see you next time.